we keep coming back with more great conversations. This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. My guest today is Mr. Steve Driffin. He is a longtime writer, playwright, filmmaker, director of youth programs, and co-director of operations, hailing from the city of New Haven in Connecticut. He recently brought the production, Death by a Thousand Cuts, a requiem for black and brown men to Quinnipiac University. We sat down to discuss his art, art in general, culture, and how art informs the conversation of equity and justice. We had an authentic and honest conversation here at Fluid Truth. And again, I am so pleased for the conversation that's really about to jump off this afternoon. The very multi-talented Mr. (laughs) Steve Driffin is the guest today at Uh. Fluid Truth. Uh, he is a New Haven native, but I hear native is a loaded term, and you'll tell me more Very about loaded. that. <laughs> Playwright, filmmaker, director of youth programs, and co-director of operations at Concat. So, Steve, welcome. Thank I'm you. so glad that you're sure, here. I'm glad to be here. The, the energy's already like Man, ready just to like pop off, right? I have so many things <laughs> I want to ask you about, but okay. let me pause for a second. Yep. Tell me about this not New Haven, kind of New Haven native. Where are you from? Yeah. How did you get to this space today? I, so, so okay, so I was born in New Haven, right? But I wasn't raised in New Haven. Gotcha. So my mother moved, like, when I was two to New York. So I grew up, like, my teen, my formative years into my teens into New York. Then she left New York and then moved to South Carolina. Oh, wow. And then she moved to South Carolina, a very rural town, Greeleyville. Big ups to Greeleyville, South Carolina, right? So, so I'm going to yeah, Greeleyville. Greeleyville. Yeah. And population, like, 500. Right. You know, and and no. And, and so, yeah. So that's a whole nother conversation. So I've been like a nomad, you know, and then I ended up going to college down there because I finished out high school and then I went to college there, which was good because that that was good for me. And that's a whole nother story, but kind of related to even writing. So I'll talk about I'll talk about that as we because it, it didn't. So I didn't want to leave New York, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who, who wants to leave New York, right? <laughs> who wants to leave New York? And and so and so my protest was, well, I have no choice. I'm down here, and you know what? So I'm not gonna study. I went to school every day, and I did not open a book. I did not study. In my silent, my protest, right? Because I couldn't run away, and and it was like <laughs> where we lived. You know, yeah, it was very very rural. Gotcha. Like when we moved down there, there was no, there was no paved, there was not a paved street. Oh wow! Right? They have party lines. You know what a party line is? No, tell me about the party. Party lines. Party lines are. This is how time forgot them. Party lines are like if we're neighbors, you live down the street, right? You pick up the phone, you can hear my conversation in my house, right? You can't use. So we shared the line. We shared phone lines. So it was called a party line. So we have party lines when I'm with. I'm like, what? Wow. You know, you live like leave New York City and now I'm like in color purple. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was just like bugged me out. So I protested and and my grades suffered. Mm. Right. And it wasn't until and I only went to school because girls was there because where we lived, it was like look, living out there across the street. Right. But when 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 it was time, like my junior year, whatever was that career day. Mm-hmm. 
I never forget all the girls, all the kids went into the gym because how everybody's trying to vet military, you know, trade schools, et cetera. All the girls was going to the college side. All the guys was going to the like military. I went to school because of the girls, so where was I going to go? I'm going to where the girls are going, right? Which is great, which is not a good reason, but what it turned out to be a good reason. So I go, I want to go to college. And they rung my name up, Mr. Stiff, Mr. Driffin, your your grades are horrific. Right. You can't you can't do it, you know. And I'm like, yeah, no, I could do the work. I just was not. <laughs> you know, I remember telling them that. And then all of a sudden, the reality hit, yo. And my mother at the time, when she was from the school of like, at 18, you out. I'm 16, 17 years old, and I'm like, yo, what am I gonna do? 16 years old, and I'm like, what am I gonna do? And my sister was 18, she was gone. So I, it was that reality. And uh, so, and my SAT score sucked. I believe it. No, you don't believe it. Okay. <laughs> Worse you know, than I'm even thinking. Like, whatever, what's the, what's the maximum for SATs? 1,600? Right. 1,600, right? Do you get 200 for your name? Yes. Right, I, I got 640. Okay. All right. All right. Six forty. So I got okay. two hundred for my name. So that's four forty that I okay. earned. Okay. All right. Right. And and no school in America would have accepted me. Right. And and so I'm like, oh man, you know. But I wanted to prove that I could. And no school. I went. I applied to every school everywhere. Mm. Your grade, your SAT score, your grade, your SAT score. Ultimately, once the University of South Carolina accepted me and they put me on probation. Wow. They said, you can come here, but we're putting you on probation when you get here. And gotcha. you have to maintain a 2.0 or something like that. And so I ran with it. And I was my first semester, I had a 3.0. So, so you know, but, but, but I said, yeah, but it was hard. Gotcha. It was a hard struggle because I had to now learn and unlearn. What I didn't know, I didn't know. What I thought I knew, I had to unlearn. Yeah. Then I had to learn new, right? So, so that was that, that thing. And so, and an English major. Well, I started as a journalist major. Is that right? Couldn't write. I didn't know how to write a paragraph. Literally, I had more grammatical mistakes. I remember my first professor, Ron Boffman, Professor Boffman, and he's like, this is, you know, analytical writing. I don't teach how to, how to write. You should know how to, you know, mechanically write. Da, 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 da. My first paper, three-page paper, I still have it. Do you really? He said, if you get a, you know, comma splice, whatever, that's, you get an F. You mm-hmm. should know how to do this. My first paper looked like the Passion of Christ. <laughs> Yo, I'm dead serious. <laughs> my first paper looked like the Passion of Christ. It was like red, red, red. Third page, and then he had this paragraph. Had this paragraph at the bottom, and like cursed me out. So as a freshman, I'm like, teachers aren't supposed to curse at you, right? It's a whole like, new game. It's a whole new game. Damn errors, you know. Da, 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 da. And then and I looked at the grade before I finished reading, and it was an A. How'd you get an A? On a red paper. Yeah, he cursed me out because of all the mechanical and grammatical errors, right? But then he said, young man, you have an incredible writing ability, storytelling ability. So that was my... That was a launching pad, That was my it? launching pad. So I said all that to say that, right? And and I would not recommend anybody listening to this to not study or anything. That's not the path that's, that's not recommended? Path. No, not at all. That's You don't want to go down that road okay. Okay. because it was hard. And then right. it was even twice as hard because I put myself through school. So I was working 30 hours plus a week at a hotel and and in school. So because my parents didn't support that was a whole that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. We'll have to come back to that one. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that. But to say all that and then what's happening now. Right. And (laughs) so clue everyone into what's happening now. So I introduced you as um, playwright and filmmaker and you're doing all these amazing things in the arts and 
thank you for just teeing it up with that story <laughs> that it wasn't always easy for you to step into your gift and into your writing, into your storytelling. But tell us what's happening now. So now we just, last week, we just kicked off a, a very passionate and, and personal story um, play, a play uh, that I wrote. It's called uh, Death by a Thousand Cuts, a Requiem for Black and Brown Men. And we were, it's a workshop. We're workshopping it now, and that's how we introduced it. So it was a read. Everybody last week said this play was awesome. I'm like, and I kept saying it's a, it's, it's a read. A play. It's, right. it's not a play. It's, it's a read. It's a read. But the way that it kicked off, you saw production, wow. and all these brothers did. You know, all they did was uh, stand there with uh, music stands and their scripts. So and it was right here on the right campus here on of Quinnipiac. Campus, big ups to Kevin Daly, Don Sawyer, the president of Quinnipiac University, opened their doors to us and. Um, Man, hmm. I, I, I get some of the, the responses that, that I got, and I was like I was telling you, I've been getting responses every day since the weekend, from Friday all the way up until yesterday. I kid you not. And, and the things people were saying, like one, one person, you know, I went and had lunch with the other night, and I said, so I knew their father came. Mm -hmm. So, so how'd, how'd your father, you know, he shook my hand, and they were like, yeah, well, you know, he told me, he said, and this is a 70-something-year-old man. He said, I wished I would have seen this when in my 20s. I would have been a different father. Is that right? That made me emotional. It, wow. it really did. You know, so that was just one of the things, you know, and you read the critic that was there. Um, and and the story, the story is really about black men and our vulnerability and, and the stuff that we go through because no one listens to that. I mean, we talk about it, but we don't talk about it. You know, we, we, we'll, I'll give you that level one, that elevator pitch about what's going on. Brothers do that, right? right. Even the barbershops, you know, I hear brothers say now, oh, yeah, you know, barbershops are our place. That's our refuge. It is to a degree because we still don't talk about the real real, right? We don't talk about the things that we've mentioned. We don't talk about molestation. We don't talk about how, you know, we really feel about maybe if our fathers were absent or maybe our mothers were absent or abuse, emotional abuse. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about, about how we, we um, really dog each other out sometimes. We don't talk about how homophobia is still an issue in the community. So all that stuff, and I put it out there. Wow. So, I mean, this is obviously a, a, a read, and I know you said it's not a player production yet, but what you're hearing from other critics from those who came what's it suggesting to you how important is this topic this what i'm hearing is that this needs to go everywhere this touch so i i liken this into a, a window a mirror in a window that's mm -hmm. how I, I liken this whole story it's a mirror for us for men to really look at ourselves and and really talk about the stuff that traumatizes us and explaining why we are the way that we are but then it's also a window for our sisters, for our white brothers and sisters, our white counterparts, um, and any other, other, right? To, to be able to look in and view and not necessarily be a voyeur, but go in looking to really try to understand. So it's a window in a mirror and, and, and it has to be told. And so I can't say that this is just exclusively for black people. No, this is for everybody because in this country, we're, we're inextricably bound. Very true. Right. So so where there's really no we can't just separate ourselves, not in America. So so that story and, and we've been vilified. Black True. men have been vilified. Our stories, you know, and this is a, one of the plays that we not singing. 
but they do do a little something. But we're not singing. We're not. We're not enslaved. We're not portraying the enslaved. We're not the entertain. You know what I'm saying? We're not the gangbanger. We're four men standing, telling you how we really feel. Wow. That's what it's about. So why is it important that this comes from the perspective of the black and brown men? Because again, I know you were saying right. that this could be a story that is heard and and many people can benefit from having heard it but why is it important to you as the storyteller and as the writer to tell this from your perspective because our stories haven't been really told in its in, in its totality you know i don't think it's we've told our story in truthfulness and i think sometimes and one thing i love about theater and art is that it it allows you to really it's almost catharsis a catharsis and it's therapy in a way because now you're talking you're seeing something on stage and you're and you're able to talk about it a little more freely because of the space that it gives you it's a little different when you know i have to sit down and say it and then we have to also understand man what we don't talk about imprisons us you know um zora neale hurston you're zora yeah, yeah, right yeah, she, yeah. she said uh if we're silent about our pain you know they'll kill us and say and we say enjoyed we, it yes yes right and and so this play talks about the microaggressions that we've had. So it's it's linear. You know, I start you start you see it where it grows from from being a young black man and these guys avatar into kids to being fathers to being other individuals and you see that how it how it trend, you know just moves along. And we talk about that. We talk about all that stuff that we go through that we deal with every single day. Every every day, and it's and it's painful, and and sometimes we're so we become so numb to it right. that we don't even know that we're getting cut, you know. And the whole concept of death by a thousand cuts for me, it was just to hold the Japanese torture, yeah. right? Just those little cuts, and then when a brother snaps, oh, he just went crazy. No, he didn't go crazy. It's been this continuum. It's, this has been a buildup. I don't know if you saw yesterday the um, young brother, young boy in Jersey. I did see it. Y'all, I, I, I'm telling you, I, tears. I did see Because it. it took me back to this. And I said, what people are not understanding is, it's not even this what happened. It's what he's going to become from this. Can you just encapsulate really quickly, just in case everyone else yeah. didn't see it? So, so in, Jer- in Jersey, there was an incident in a mall. For those who don't know, there was an incident in a mall in Jersey where the two boys, uh, middle school, uh, high school, middle school kids, uh, got in an altercation, a black boy and a white boy. And um, it ended up in a fight. And turned out that the the black student, the young man, he was actually defending a younger student. And the white student was actually the aggressor who was in high school. And the fight broke out and they're in the mall, they're fighting, the police come, they grab, they, they the young the white student was on top of the black student. And then what they do is they sit him down on the seat. And it's almost like a pat. That's what I've looked at the video, right? It's almost like a, all right, you just sit here, gesture. While the young black man's on the ground with the knee in his back being handcuffed. Right. That was insane to me. So when we talk about our, our being black men in America, it starts from there. It starts with situations like that, you know. And this whole play, I use personal accounts, um, my own pain. Um, I used, I interviewed so many brothers. So this was eight years in the making. Too. Is that right? Eight years in the making. Wow. So that's the culmination of some serious introspection and conversation and reflection with so many brothers i went to so many groups big up to fathers cry too big ups to eric ray's black obsidian big ups Mm -hmm. to bruce chamel um big ups to the male involvement network so many and even just brothers who got together at each other's house and sat and we just talked 
Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't realize I was writing this through that. I have to say, it wasn't like, oh, I'm documenting. It really wasn't that. It was really just taking all this information. And then up until, you know, the pandemic, when we all were sheltered in place, and then alongside with the, you know, George Floyd and, and the, you know, Breonna Taylors, but even before that, the Eric Garners and, and you know, the everybody else that died and was murdered, all that was our cuts. Yeah. Because we all feel a way when we see it. Right. We all feel something. So we're so interconnected. And so I'm home, angry, mad, pissed. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like to the point where I want to go outside and tear stuff up. I want Malcolm X philosophy. And I'm like, no, we're not friendly no more. We, we're past that. And I knew that wasn't healthy. I knew it wasn't healthy because I'm sitting home with it. Right. right? And I knew if I go out. That, that could turn that out works any out kind of badly. way. I'd, you know, right. So my my catharsis, my therapy, my faithful pad and pen. And I'm writing this. So I was struggling to write this play um, for all all those years. I keep a journal to all my stories. So so I'm like, man, how do I want this to be? You know, bust out. I didn't know how it was supposed to be. And it began to grow from that. And hence, you get this. So it, it became, it talked about death. It, but we also talked about love too. Let me get that straight. We talk about black joy. So I don't want to make this all dark and gloomy. You know, we talk about black joy. We talk about how black is beautiful. And I talk about the things I talk about love. And we apologize to our sisters. Mm. We, they, we apologetic in this. So, so I tried to like really think about all the things that we've gone through and 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 there's a line in it that says you know you've been with me since we got off the boat and i have basically the audacity to treat you like this right so so there's an apology there you know so mia culpa right they they say it. they put their hand in the they say it so you got to you got to see it Oh, I am hoping that you're able to bring this back around. And uh, I am so disappointed I wasn't able to catch it last week when yeah. you had, you know, this debut for this amazing production. But when are you going to be able to pull this out to greater audiences? Because I know we're clamoring for it and yeah, we need to see we, this. We need to see it. So, again, this launched here right here at Quinnipiac University, which was like. And we had no idea, right? You know how you say, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. But you don't know what it's going to do once you do it. Right. And once we did, you know, the, 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 the president here, the vice president, Don Sawyer, and, uh, uh, diversity uh, and inclusion here, um, he, he was really responsible for making, connecting the dots. And, and, um, and the, the president of the university attended that Friday night. Amazing. And um, she approached me at the end and, and we were just having conversation talking about it and, and that was that and then the president from Southern Connecticut State University mm. he was there and he said listen I've already started talking to people we need to talk this needs yes. to come to here so so it was crazy right so literally and then the next day the Saturday show uh, Professor Sawyer he, he, he called me up on stage and he was like listen I got an email from the president last night around 11 30 12 o'clock she wants us Come back and do it. Will oh, you do man. it? And oh, the answer man. was yes. He put me on spot in front of everybody in the audience, right? So, well, but we I, knew you were going to say yes. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I should have mentioned nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. No, but yeah, no. We we're so so. That's the next step. So we're going to be having a, actually a conversation probably next week as to you know what that looks like. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. where does this? I know you're saying it draws from some of your own stories, but where do you see this in the conversation of evening the playing field in terms of how? black men are seen how do you see your work and your art 
as really contributing to that conversation? Yeah, um, it contributes because it allows you to see us as human, hmm. as men. And it's crazy because I was looking, there's a sign up at, at work from, from the civil rights uh, protest. And, and I see, and I've seen it now most recently, but I am a man. Just that alone, that you have to hold up a sign just to get human, just to feel human. Right. Because so many times we haven't been treated as human, right? That young boy in Jersey was treated like a criminal. Right. You see what I'm saying? But yet his white counterpart was sat down and placed uncuffed. So so I we need to be seen in a light that yo we and this comes I think this is from slavery too. I got us I be, really believe it like when doing the lynchings when they feel oh they don't feel nothing. Yeah. They don't feel pain, right? And, and you know this is moving forward into to how modern medicine treats people of color. Absolutely. And allegedly there's a higher pain tolerance right. for people right. of color. Right. So it's not it is a slave mentality and it comes probably steeped in that era, but now it's very pervasive in how we um, encounter how we live our lives in our regular right. community. We have to undo that. We have to unlearn this. Yes, and and I'm hoping that we can have real dialogue. You know, I'm hoping that it, it allows people, and, and I've been getting emails from white women, okay, who were like, this blew my mind. People telling me this has been in my head all week. Like, I'm, I kid you not, I could read you some of the, the, the responses of the people that sent me this. And they were like, and from women, white women, black women, you know, they're like, yo, I can't get this out my head. Wow. And, and that's good. If that's what it's supposed to do, so now let's talk. I heard someone said some women left the theater and they said, I'm going to go home and hug my husband. Oh, wow. That thing. Right? So, Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what to say. I get goosebumps thinking about it, right? You're giving me goosebumps telling me about <laughs> it. But so when you sit back and you process this, and I know you're not the only one in your family who has spoken because sometimes we emulate those who have come mm-hmm. before us, and you're probably not the only one in your family who speaks now. And But you're now a beacon mm-hmm. for those who might not know what this had looked like before. Right. So how does that sit with you? How do you feel about... Is it a weight? Is it, um, do you feel the accolades of it or do you feel the pressure of this? All of the above. You know how you, as a writer, right, and, and any writer, you're like, yo, I want to write. I want people to know my stuff, right? But when you do it and in and, and this magnitude and, and you see how it hits, you're like, I, this is the only way I can describe it. I feel small. Wow. Real small. Like, like I'm standing on the beach and I'm at, in front of the ocean. I'm just that big. And I don't say that in a diminutive, diminutive kind of way. I say that in a way that is a humbling way. It's very humbling. And it's like, wow. And then it's surreal. And then I don't know how to take it all in. And I'm still trying to figure it out a week later, right? I'm like, see, what does all this mean? You know, I have a meeting Monday that, yeah, I, there's this stuff that's happening that people like, we want this here. We want this here. I was meeting yesterday. Hamden now wants it somewhere, you know, and people are like getting but people hadn't even seen it. So it, it makes me say if 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 I'm supposed to be the oracle, so to speak, you know, then if, if this is what God plans, then who am I? Right. They're like, no, you know, it's like, no, then then it has to be. Then let it be and let right. it run its course. Let it do what it has to do. And I and I tell the, the actors that, too. I say that when they get on stage. You don't ever know who's looking for you. So bring your best you on stage, right? And and they did. And I guess I brought a good script, one of my best scripts on stage. And I don't ever know who's looking for me. 
right? So when you say that, so then if it's supposed to be something for us to see and for our people and for, for people to understand us better, to stand to understand each other better, then let it be the let it be the, the vehicle to, to, to create that. Let it be the catalyst to create dialogue or real dialogue. Let it let brothers break free. I love that. And again, unfortunately I was not able to see it, but I will. Um, it sounds like you brought a lot in about the mental health and what is required of these conversations and how it kind of frees one oh. of these strangulations, of these strongholds, of even the narratives that could be choking us. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on where we are in terms of mental health? You know, when we first did, we did a private read in October. So we've been working on this since October, right? We did a little intimate read and just for like the first 20 pages because that for me, it was important to say, what is this going to really look like? Let me get a little group of people to tell me if this is good or dog food, right? You know, and um, I remember after we did it, we only did like 20 pages of it and we cut it. And I said, okay, so what do you think? And I remember there was like some seconds of silence and I'm like, okay, Steve, this is not good. And, you know, because, you know, as an artist, I'm still sensitive about my stuff. Listen, Erica Badu, <laughs> I see you. Yes. Right. So, it, you know, I'm like, man. And then, and these were people that we know in the community, okay? Right. And, and one person kicked it on and said, this is too much for me to unpack right now. And I'm like, whoa, this is October. Then, um, then someone, then people started sharing. Like people that I would have never thought had experiences in the professional was sharing things that I'm like, whoa. Mm. A brother came up to me and he said, my father died two weeks ago. I just, right after that, and, and I remember like, whoa, and I'm like, why are you sharing this with me? And so the team that I work with, um, and I gotta give big ups to Karina, Mercedes, Anita, and Cassie, they, behind every good man there's a woman right they sure say enough sure y'all these four women they keep they stand me in, in check it, huh? mm -hmm. let me tell you that the show is because of these ladies right? Love but it. we got together and we spoke talked about it and um we we were clear we cannot do this without any services in place this show cannot happen without services there talk to me about that the impact was so intense, and, P and it opened up. It opened up wounds. It opened up. It pulled back scabs, scars, and everything else. And and we were clear that we need people there so people can. There was a therapist who was there that day, and was like, "I need help as a therapist." Wow, it was crazy, right? So, oh my god, that's serious. And so I had I had as many of my my support group friends. Uh, therapist friends, you know, who, who are therapists, I had them there because, you know, they have to, I want people to be able to go to it. If that's an opportunity for a brother who may have, or anyone who says, well, I don't believe in it, but then if this impacted them to the point where maybe I should, I wanted someone there right that there. they can get right there, not go home and just dismiss it because that can happen. So, that is such a powerful um, move and, and so proactive on your end too, because again, I have seen shows that have rocked me and, and kind of caused me to question and I go back and I have to unpack some things. But to have someone in the space or even to say, hey, reach out to me if you need to this week or right. you know, let's touch base on this if you need to unpack it further, that's powerful. Yeah. And that's a part of the healing. I didn't recognize that was um, incorporated into into yeah, your production. It was too here. important. It it was too intense and too important not to you cannot go home and open up a womb and expect it to grow back just as, you know, no. We, it's that, that's counterproductive. Right. You know, I want people to be able to see it and 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 really just 
go within themselves and if they know there's help there to be brave enough. And that's what the play is also be about being brave. Vulnerability personified. So this play is layered with rap, poetry, verse, rhyme, lyric. I mean, you know, and, and just just story, storytelling, everything that, that encapsulates who we are as a people, right? right. So it's all part of that. It, it encapsulates all that. So this is such a timely um, production of this. And I keep on calling it production. I re- do recognize that it was a, it was a read. We call it production. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but why do you think this was able to catch such attention right now? Why not five years ago? Why not eight years ago when you were just coming on the concept? Why is it ripe for this conversation right now? And and I can't. I probably can answer that later. You know, because whereas I'm thinking when I came up with the idea of trying to write it, right? I'm thinking, ah, it's just late, you know. I, But everything is timing. And it just happened to fall at this time. It wasn't like something like, oh, I'm going to bring it out now. It just happened to be ready now. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, it's such a crazy thing. And so it kind of lets me know in a divine order of things that sometimes we think we're in control. Sometimes, you know, and those, whatever you believe in, God, Buddha, Allah, whatever, you know, the God, spirits, whatever. Sometimes we're moved and don't even we're moving. Like, for example, this time of year, I use this, like I'm looking out here in the window and I'm looking at the trees move, right? I mean, the leaves on the ground. Yeah. I don't see the wind, but they're moving. Sometimes we're being moved and don't even see what's moving us. And that's how I look at it. So, so I'm thinking like, Steve, you're being moved and you don't, you're not in con- really in control. You might be the captain of your destiny, but you ain't the master of your destiny. Wow. It's a difference. You know, so, so I think sometimes it's like that. And this is the time, and if this is the vehicle, and if this is the moment, I embrace it, I welcome it, and and I want everybody to see it, black, white, Hispanic, and everybody else, and every other race to see it. This is definitely a community conversation that you're having through your art, huh? Yeah, yeah, and and it was never intentional. (laughs) Never intentional. I really love that, though. I think some of the best um, pieces that we put together we're just moved yeah. by spirit, moved by inspiration, moved by our surroundings, yeah. and it's not our intending to do so, but the culmination is a beautiful work. You know, I have to give, and um, to Zaki Shange, am I pronouncing her name, the, the, for colored girls who considered suicide when the rainbow is yes. enough. Yes. And is that, did I say that I do her name justice? Tazaki Shange, I think. She wrote that play. And someone mentioned it Friday night. I said, this is like the male version of that. Whoa. You know, and I remember seeing that. But I'm like, wow, yeah. So if there's have, if, you know, and how things come around again, how things yeah. kind of yeah. orbit back. If this is any, and if this is a tribute to her, I yo, listen, big props, respect you know, to that work that lives on. And, and if this is, and to even be put in that category or mentioned, I'm honored, you know, but for men, yes, we need this. And, yeah. if, and if that, if this is the piece, and if I don't write anything else or, or known for anything else that I've done, if this is the piece, then so, so it, let it be. 
I'm so glad to be talking to you now at this point because um, you've just completed having had this audience reaction, having the production, having, you know, your actors there. And now you're looking. I I see you in my mind standing on top of this mountain looking across to say, okay, what's next? What's next? What's going on? What's next? So I'm so glad to have this conversation with you right now. And not to lose sight that the reason why I thought you were such a fabulous voice is because I like to focus on equity and Mm. what equity looks like in different spaces. Mm. And just to kind of wrap this around, when you speak of the issues of the black and brown men in our community who might be our fathers, our husbands, our boyfriends, our sons, and we see what you've created, now it's an eye-opening space to level the playing ground a little bit to offer some education. Absolutely, absolutely. And we need to, to, we need to make sure there are resources for us because our journey and experiences are unique. Um, and historically, it has been unique because we've been uniquely disenfranchised. You know, we have been we have been like in places that we just not allowed the same grace. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my father, who's 81 years old, you know, this is I had to understand that. Like, I don't know what this man, what he's not saying, right. you know, and he's still here. You know, and, and so what do we do to, to honor that? What do we do to to for people just to see us? Because brothers want to be seen, but now we don't even know how to be seen because we've been just bombarded with so much, you know? And, and from, from white society, from our own women, from institutions, to just the day-to-day, and we don't even know how to articulate it. Mm. We don't know, and, so when, and then when it comes to equity, we need, and, and even in this field, right, in, in theater, why aren't more of our stories being told on a broader scale? Right. You know, I don't want us I don't want us to be no, no. I don't want us just to be like the clowning and laughter and joking. Right. We have some real stories to tell. Right. You know, I think everything has its place in time. Let us know it. You know, Thoughts of a Colored Man was at in Broadway. Right. This past this came out and I actually did you get a chance to see it? I did. And I had to see it because I knew what I wrote. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I said, I hope this isn't like my script. And people say, oh, Steve, you biting, you know. And, and so I went down <laughs> when it first opened. And I was there, and I saw it, and I'm like, wow. And now, if I'm not mistaken, I think that that play was making like 400k a week. I know it was doing well. I don't yeah. know the figures. Yeah, I think on I read it, that. Was, read they were killing it. Yeah, they were killing it. Right, and and that's great, and that speaks to our dollar. It speaks to our power, and but it also speaks that why there are other plays by people of color that can be on Broadway. Very true. And so when we talk about equity, and then the opportunity, because the thought is, oh well, you know. Black theater, people don't come, right? The thought is that, oh, well, if your play doesn't do well once, then we're not going to do it. It's not worth it, it right. right. And, but yet, they are, where we get our right counterparts who are in theater who get two or three shots. So that the equity on that alone, um, there was a great article that came out, and, and I'll send it to you later, uh, that, that spoke about one particular uh, writer, white writer, who's like struck out two, three times and still oh, opportunities. Huh? Right, still opportunities, right? We get one shot. We get one shot, and, and that's crazy. That's a lot of weight to, to do right. it right the first time. To do it right the first time. Right. So when do we let people know that no, we can do this? So the, so the theater, the theater industry still has a lot, and, and, and I, we talk about that in the play. We say, you know, uh, inclusion, uh, what's, the, what's the learn? That diversity inclusion yeah. is just an illusion. Oh, wow. That's a line in the play. Oh, wow. Right? And then they, they go into this whole, 
ripple effect of, of what it is. And, and, and because right now it's a sexy phrase, right? Right now it's just trendy. But we got to really be that. We have to live that. We have to live it. And we have to hold those in, in position accountable Very to true. make make sure it Very happens. True. You know, so if we need to be, we, it should be normal to see black plays on Broadway. Yes, it should. It should be normal to see Hispanic plays on Broadway. Yes, it should. Asian plays on yes, Broadway. That should be normal. As right? opposed to. As opposed the, to just, you know, really the white whitewashed and retold stories. So that that's the thing we need to talk about and think about, and we need to support that, you know. And I love how you brought that up, to with your art being center for this conversation. I think that's hugely appropriate. But now I want to um, ask you, and we'll, we could wrap wrap up with this segment. Um, with you told me that you are moving into the year on betting on Steve. Talk to me about that. Yeah, some, and I don't know if I've I've yeah, called it correctly. No, that that was it. Someone asked me. Um, at the turn of the year, they said, so what's your New Year's resolution? I said, Man, I don't know if I have a re- resolution. I said, but this year I'm betting on Steve. And and betting on Steve meant a whole lot for me. It was like, I've been for everyone else. I've done for, you know, done, shared and everything else. But now, no, I'm going to put it all on Steve. And I kicked off with this, right? I, I wrote a statement letter um, a couple of months ago. And I likened it to, I was talking about my writing process, the whole, my writing life. And I personified writing as a relationship. Mm. And I was cheating on her, my writing, right? I was cheating on her because, yeah, we were good together. You know, we were creative. I liked when we were together. She was just, she made me feel good, you know, and stuff like that. But, But I wasn't too sure. I wasn't too sure, right, with her. All right, so then let me be safe. Let me go to school. Let me go to grad school for counseling. Gotcha. You know, let me write more more clinical-like type, right? But she, that chick was like, she was a little too sterile for me, right? But I really still, you know, liked, yo know, my writing over here, the creative side. and But I really wasn't sure because I wanted to be safe, mm. right? I wanted to be mainstream. I wanted to be conventional. Mm. She wasn't really conventional, Right. People aren't really used to that. We didn't see the promise in that. It was sketchy. People weren't. And, and, and so but I realized that when I then I tried to get back with her. And sometimes she stiff on me, gave me writer's block. <laughs> right. And she she wouldn't rock with me. She was like, oh, she's like, I ain't giving you nothing right now. Right. <laughs> and so then I struggled. But then when we got back in our groove, you're like, yo, things were happening. And so finally I said, you know what, I'm a commit. And, and, and I really said that. So so right right around the time uh, we were all the shelter in place, I quit counseling. I'm not doing that no more. I right took bit right? the bullet and I said I'm focusing on her. I'm going to give her all my attention. That was the year I won the New York screenplay comp competition for an animated screenplay that I wrote called Butterflies. Right after I said that, and I'm like I'm betting on Steve. And you know what? She's going to be right with me and That's I'm sticking right. with her because she showed me she gave me glimpses of how great we could be. But you know how a brother could be, like, you know, you yes. know, in a relationship, right? Yes. Right. You know, you say, let's maybe you you with me, we can go places. But sometimes we just can't see the forest from the trees. Right. I love how you <laughs> personified it because it comes really clear of how stepping into writing. You're like, look, this is what we're going to do now. Yeah. It's you and me. Yeah. This is what we're going to so do. Betting, I'm putting it all on it and, and we're going to rock. I'm betting on Steve, too. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I am that. so glad to have you here. We could go on and on. Yeah. And I know the stories are, you're a storyteller. So I know the stories that are <sighs> at the you. tip of your t- 
tongue and at the forefront of your mind, and I want to hear all of them. Yeah. But I'm going to pause today. Okay. But thank you so much, Mr. Steve Driffin, playwright, filmmaker. Um, I feel like you're on the top of the mountain looking out, and I'm just (laughs) watching with you, and I'm supporting you, and we're cheering for you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Wow, that was great. Thanks for listening in today. On the next show, I'll be sitting down with Dr. Lorenzo Boyd, nationally recognized leader in police community relations and an authority on urban policing. Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shafu, and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out to the Fluid Truth crew for all of their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QUPodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.